0: Well, as we've been talking about vision, we've been looking at Philippians, the book of Philippians, Paul's little letter to the Philippian church. So our scripture reading for today comes from chapter four, Philippians four, verses four through nine. Now, this is one of these passages, if you've ever gotten like a Campus Crusade, scripture memory, uh, little book of cards, little uh, scripture memory cards, a lot of the passages from that are like from this passage. It's, It's a very rich section of scripture Um, I'm sure some of these verses that you you have memorized, uh, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. But this is a very rich and weighty uh, passage of Scripture. And it has a lot to say uh, about this idea of commitment and and committing to the right things. And, And I think you'll see that as we look at it. But the Apostle Paul writes these words to the Philippian church. And of course, he's writing them under the inspiration of the very Holy Spirit of God. So these words come to us with authority. Let's hear together the word of Christ. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's been well stated, and I would even argue overstated, that 2020 has been a year of anxiety. And again, it just doesn't seem to end, right? Just It's like just when we get past this one thing, then there's like another thing, and then, and then you get over that, and there's another thing. And it's been interesting where people have gone this year for comfort, Um you know, like vacation homes. Everybody's buying vacation homes. They're buying a place to lake. They want to get out. They want to They want to get away. They want to just kind of forget about things. I mean, even trying to like rent a vacation home or like, you know, get on VRBO. Those properties recently have gone bazonkers. People are wanting to get out. They want to get away. Um, alcohol has been a place people have gone. I, I found this is interesting. Even though bars have been closed in 2020 for a lot of 2020, Alcohol sales are at a record high in 2020, right? People just want to forget about the reality of this anxious moment that we're in. Another one that's at a record high this year is therapy. People going to therapy or counseling. People just need some help. How do I deal with the anxieties of this moment? And again, I'm not saying these are, you know, that, like, for example, our own biblical counseling center has been very full, and that's a good thing. I'm glad that people are going to get some help when they. Uh, when they face these anxious moments. But it's an interesting thing for us to think about as Christians. If you you were with us last week, I talked about Kierkegaard and the dilemma that he set forth between resignation, so he called it on one side, which you can kind of see in this, right, just getting away, forgetting about this, you you know, forgetting what anxieties exist in the world, just resigning from it. And then, of course, anxiety on the other side, just this fear that is crippling. I can't stop thinking about this. I can't find any peace. I can't find any rest in this moment. But, of course, Christians, and this is a theme over and over and over, and particularly in the book of Philippians, are called to peace and to be content and to be people of poise and to be people of courage. I mean, verse six, if you think about it, is a pretty amazing passage. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I only really want to kind of tease that out for you. You know, don't be anxious about money. Guys, don't be anxious about money. And this year, roller coaster, stock market up and down. Don't. Paul's saying, don't be anxious about money. Don't be anxious about that. You know, it's hard for me to read this passage, think about anxiety, and not think about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, this is a passage that I find myself, Matthew 6, I'm just gonna read this to you. If, you, if you've wrestled with anxiety this year, let me just read this passage to you. This passage just always comforts me. Here's the words of our Lord from Matthew 6, 25. Just, just listen. Therefore I tell you, imagine Jesus saying this to you. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But you, you, seek first the kingdom of God, And his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your money. Don't be anxious about your work. You know, if your identity is in your work, if you are what you do, you'll be anxious all the time because there's always something to do at work. Work is very fragile. You may have just closed the big deal, Right? But you know what's going on right now right now you just closed a big deal you know what's going on your competitor's trying to get the next deal you got to beat him to it you'll never be able to rest you never be able to have peace if your identity is in your work you'll you'll be so fragile because work is fragile how about this one don't be anxious about politics it's good to care about politics it's good to be engaged in the political process, I'm glad that you went out and that you voted and maybe even volunteered with a campaign and got involved. That's a good thing to do. We, it's a stewardship that God has given us. But I want you to hear this. Some of you are consumed with politics right now. And it's making you so anxious. It's creating great anxiety in you. Lisa, don't, don't be anxious about politics. And I want to go and be honest with you. When I say some of you are consumed with politics right now, you're not really consumed with politics. It's not like you're running for office or like really involved with people's campaigns. You're consumed with political narratives that media outlets are selling you. Don't be consumed by that. That will create enormous anxiety in your heart and in your life. Again, it's good to engage, but you got to realize these people are selling a product, Okay. And on one side, they say, this is the scariest person ever. And you need us to tell you how scary he is. So read our paper. And that's their story over and over and over again. And on the other side, it's this is the scariest system ever. And you need us to tell us how scary it is. So read our paper. Don't be anxious about politics. Don't be consumed by it. Don't be anxious about relationships. Now, I get it. Especially, I talk to a lot of you single folks out there. Oh, I just want to get married. I want to get married. Let me, let me tell you, marriage is great. I love marriage. But marriage won't bring you lasting satisfaction. In fact, if, if you go into marriage wanting lasting satisfaction, if you want them to be everything, your everything, then you'll be the worst husband ever. You, you, you can't really love a girl if she has to be your everything because the minute she disappoints you, you'll crush her. Same thing for you girls, to you guys. Don't be anxious about marriage. Don't be anxious about your children. Now, how is this even possible, right? I mean, I was anxious about my children before I even had children. I I remember, like, going to those ultrasound appointments when I was, you know, when we were waiting for our children to be born. You know, everyone, I would get, like, the sweat beads right here. You know what I'm talking about? We just, like, start sweating. It's always right here like why am I sweating right above my ear but that would always happen to me and then of course you have the kids and it doesn't get any easier you know my children right now have not been in school since March and of course I care a lot about education and I want them to learn how to read and I want them to like learn these things and and I'm supposed to trust that them watching an iPad for six hours is going to prepare them for college right don't be anxious about your children says the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, hold on, Jason. Thanks for the Bible lesson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 6, good, good verse. But, like, you don't understand. Like, you don't understand what my work has been like this year. You, you can't tell me not to be anxious about work. We may lose the company. It's a crazy time. You can't tell me not to be anxious about politics. There's there's all these conspiracies and everything going on, and I'm worried about it. You can't tell me not to be anxious about my children. They're my children. What are you talking about? Don't be anxious about anything. How do you do that? You know, it's not like anxiety is something that you choose, right? It's not like you just woke up this morning and said, yeah, I think I'll be anxious today. You know, No, it's just something that happens. You don't want to be anxious. So how do you overcome this? How do you find yourself in this way? And I think actually this passage has a lot to tell us about this. And there's five things, and I kind of want to look at it as a big verse. I think I have a little slide here that will maybe help you. Do we have that? Is that working? There it is. I kind of color-coded this, okay? The first thing that this passage... tells you, is it it, it, it gives us a a direction. It gives us an eternal direction here. Let's go back to the passage. I kind of color-coded this. So the yellow part, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I talked about this a few weeks ago, this passage, when we talked about contentment. Rejoice in the Lord. I believe what this is, is this is a call. Paul is calling the Philippian church here to anchor their lives in something that is so much deeper than their work or their relationships or their children or their spouse or whatever. He's calling them to anchor their lives in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Find the anchor of your identity in the Lord. Now, what do I mean by this? If you go to a hotel for a couple of nights... Now, you may be like me. I like to put my stuff in the drawer. Let's get a little show of hands. Who is a, I put my stuff, you're staying two or three nights, let's say, who uses the drawers? Okay, okay. Paige always gets on to me for using the drawer. She's like, just, we're going to be here two days. Just keep it in your suitcase. And the reason she gets on to me is sometimes I forget the stuff in the drawer when we leave the hotel. But anyway, you might put your stuff in the drawer. You may move a table in the hotel room to change it around a little bit. But you know what you don't do if you go to a hotel room for two or three days? You don't hire a contractor to, like, maximize the space and take out a wall. You know, you don't buy new curtains for the hotel room if you don't like them. You don't buy a new mattress. Why? Because you're just there for a couple of days. Like, you, you, you're grateful for it. You're, you're resting there. It, but it's not yours. It's, it's not your identity. You don't say, if somebody asks you while you're on that trip, where are you from? You don't say, "Oh, well, I'm from the Hilton Garden Inn, you know. You, no, it's not your identity. It's, 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 it's something secondary in your life, right? This is, this is what Paul is saying here. You're not primarily a banker or a teacher or a construction worker. You are primarily in the Lord, you're not primarily a Republican or a Democrat or, or even an American. You are primarily in the Lord. You're not primarily a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. You're not primarily a father or a mother. You are in the Lord. Now, these things that God's called us to, from working to voting to marriage, These are good things. They're stewardships. They're things that God has called us to. And and I want us to be the kind of people that are incredibly faithful in the different stewardships that God has called us to. But these things aren't primary about us. They're not our identity. They're not where we find ourselves. You know, if if I got my identity, if, if who I primarily was, was the pastor of Christ's covenant, I would be I would never have peace. I would be anxious all the time. Because ministry is a roller coaster ride. Right? I mean there's there's always something going wrong. There's always something to do. There's always somebody that's in trouble. There's always Yeah, you know, last weekend we had this marriage retreat. It was awesome. It was so great. And marriages in our church were really helped. In fact, I got a text message from a friend that said, "Look, I had one of the best conversations with my wife that I have had in my entire Marriage, and I was so excited about that. And I, I, it was Monday morning. I was like, "Man, this retreat was great." And I I was telling—I have a friend named Tom Schaefer, and he was at the collective working. He's not a member of our church, but he works at the collective sometimes. Anyway, I was saying, "Man, we just had this marriage retreat. It was going great." And we were talking. While we're talking, one of the other pastors of our church comes up to me and says, "Jason, you got to pray for this couple. They're in big trouble. I'm really nervous about them." I was like, "I was just—I thought I was a good pastor, you know." Like, I thought we are man, if I got my identity and who I was at the pastor's church, I would be nervous all the time. I would only be happy when things were good. And when things were bad, I would have no courage, no poise. And when things were really good, I'd probably have no humility. You don't want a pastor like that. And you don't want to be like that. You're so much more than what you do. You're so much more than these things around you. They're stewardships. They're things that God's called you to. You should take them seriously. But rejoice in the Lord. God's given you a new direction, an eternal direction, a new identity. Rejoice in the Lord. This passage also, it not only gives us an eternal direction, it also invites us, and I love this, it invites us to pray to an eternal God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, prayer, prayer is one of those things like Christians pray. We, we kind of talk about prayer. But, I man, do you really ever think about it, that you can pray to God? That you have an audience with God? That God actually delights in hearing from those who are his children in Christ that he wants to hear from you? And if you really believe this, and if you really pray, it will, it will do so much in relieving anxiety it will toe-turn your heart away from whatever's causing that anxiety. You know, it's interesting. The modern world, modernity, said to people, meaning, value, purpose, identity, it's found in the material world, right? So look around you. Look to the material world for happiness, for life, for meaning. You can understand everything just by looking at the material world. That's what modernity said, then post-modernity came along, and post-modernity says, what you really need for meaning and purpose and value is your own narrative. It's your own story. It's how you interpret the world. It's your story. So it's interesting. Modernity taught us to look around at the material world. Post-modernity, I think, really teaches us to look down <laughs> and to look down at our phones. Why? Because what is telling a personal narrative story that you want better than your phone? got all the things you like. When you do, when you put a nice little picture of yourself up, all your friends will like it and they tell you you're cool. Um, All your friends that you have on here are interesting. All the media outlets, the news channels you watch on here, they always tell you the stories that you want to hear because you know which ones to go to. It can even tell you that your team won the football game, right? Postmodernity says, look down. You're in this is your narrative. I want to, I'm communicating value to you by looking at this thing. That's why we look at it all the time. We're looking for personal value. It's what personal modernity taught us. But here's what Christianity says. Christianity says, don't look down. Don't look around. Look up. Look up. You will be ruled by anxiety if you're looking down or around for meaning in life. But if you look up, if you will look up, if you will pray and and realize that you can commune with the living God who loves you and who's called you and has eternal purposes and value, that will give you so much poise. It's not that you won't be sad when bad things happen. It's not that you won't be happy when good things happen, but you won't be ruled by any of those things. You won't be crushed by those things. You won't be dominated by those things. Look up this this invites us in an eternal direction and invites us to pray to an eternal god it also this passage invites us to give thanks to give thanks for god's eternal goodness I, I wish i could spend more time on this but ultimately thanksgiving to be grateful is this you will be grateful when you're more aware of what you do have than you are aware of what you don't have You'll be grateful when you're more aware of what you do have than you are of what you don't have. The reason that we are not grateful, the reason we are not grateful people is that we are not anchored in God. We're anchored in smaller things. We're trying to find our identity in smaller things that will always keep us focused on what we don't have. If you're focused, if you're trying to find meaning in marriage, as I mentioned before, then you'll always be more focused on your wife's failures than you are on her successes or your husband's failures than you are on his successes. You'll always be more bothered by what he's not doing for you than you are grateful for what, who he actually is. If you're trying to find meaning in your work, again, you'll you'll never, you'll never be able to really rest in the achievements. You'll always be saying, I've got to do the next thing. I've got to prove myself again and again and again. If you're finding security and identity and money, you'll never have enough because there's always somebody with more. You know, when I, (laughs) you know, when I felt like I had the most money in my life, was when I was in seminary. When I was in seminary, I pastored a little country church. They paid me $325 a week, and I was the chaplain of the Eastern Star Nursing Home, and they paid me $50 a week, OK? So I made $375 a week, and I felt rich. Because why? All the guys I was hanging out with, they all made like $250 a week working at a coffee shop, you know, while they were going to school. So I had a lot more money than them. I felt like I had something. Well, of course, now I make a lot more than $375 a week. But you know what? All the guys around me make a lot more than I make. So I feel like, oh, man, I, don't, I should have more. I, don't, I can't believe this guy has this. He was so stupid when we were in college, and now look at him. <laughs> if you're finding your identity in money or work or anything, you'll, 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 you'll be ruled by anxiety. But this is a call to be grateful to be focused on what the good God, the good God who so cares for you has given you. Fourthly, this passage invites us to think about eternal things. A lot of y'all know this passage, verses eight and nine. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's anything excellent, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. You know the world says follow your heart, but the Bible says your heart can be really deceptive. And so, what is this calling us to? It says actually, don't follow your heart. Find what is true. Think about what is true, and let and let those things actually rule your heart. This whole passage is so dense. I I wish I could say more about it, but but let me just say this. I went to a wedding last night. It was great. Derek Bong, little Carrie Stevens, got married, happy, beautiful couple. Blake did the ceremony, did an awesome job. And I so enjoyed just listening to Blake preach last night. And he was preaching through the wedding ceremony. And he got to 1 Corinthians. He was preaching through 1 Corinthians 13, which is, you know, you hear that a lot at weddings, kind of the famous love passage, love is patient, love is kind, is not proud. And he was saying, I love what he said. He said, I think what's happening in this passage is that Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, is meditating on the character of Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not boast. Jesus doesn't keep record of our wrongs, right? He's meditating on the character of Jesus, and, and that's what he's writing. This is what Jesus is like. This, and so this is what love is. And here, the reason I tell you this, is I think the same thing is happening here. I think Paul is saying, you know where truth is? It's in Jesus. You know, you know where nobility, true nobility is? It's, it's in Jesus. True honor is in Jesus. True justice is in Jesus. Purity, loveliness, commendation, excellence, praiseworthiness. This is in Jesus. Anchor your life in him. Anchor your mind in him. Think toward him. Think what he's doing for you. Think what he's accomplishing. And the God of peace will be so with you. You know, the time in my life when I was most filled with anxiety. And I would even say, like, where I most doubted the Christian faith was when I was a senior in college. Um, it was kind of a weird time for me. I had a wonderful college, but college was kind of ending. I was, you know, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go into ministry, which I was kind of nervous about and scared about, and I just didn't think I could do. And, and I also had all these letdowns. Um, you know, I grew up, I was a Christian, and, and um, like as a kid, I had this goal. I had this goal to go and um, be play college football. And so I worked really hard at that goal. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, late high school, it started to come true. I was being recruited by these schools. I had all these recruiting trips lined up. And it's a long story, and I could tell you another time, but I, I had this kind of strange head injury and an artery in my head. I'm, I'm totally okay now, but I had to quit playing football and it was devastating for me. But you know what? I was, I was a Christian, right? And I had read the verse, Romans eight twenty eight, and I said to myself, you know what? All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I'm going to obey God in this. God's going to use this. Something better is going to come. I didn't get this dream, but something even better is going to come around. I went off to college and got involved with a bunch of different things, and I got involved with SGA, and and my junior year, I decided to run for Auburn SGA president. I remember thinking, man, this this is it. This is what the Lord wanted. He, you know, I didn't get this one dream, but this is going to be better, and I can have a greater impact on this campus for the Lord because I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this big thing, and I, you know, got my little campaign team together, a bunch of you know frat guys and sorority girls, and we were going to have this sophisticated campaign. And and right before like the deadline to put your name in. For the election, this guy puts his name in, named Jonathan McConnell. And Jonathan McConnell just so happened to be the son of the president of the Republican Party in the state of Alabama, okay? And so all of these, like, actual political operative people descended on Auburn's campus. And as sophisticated as my little group of Cayos and AD Pies were, Uh, We we didn't really stand a chance. And and you might uh, have guessed, you know, I I lost the election. But, you know, I was a Christian, right? In Romans 8, 28, you know, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And, you know, God's got something better for me. I know there's something good out there and I'll just keep following the Lord. And then. You know, that summer actually I went and worked at a camp and I met this great gal and we started dating. I was like, well, maybe this is it. You know, maybe all this happened so I could meet her and the relationship was going really well and then she dumped me. And after that, I remember thinking, what's going on here? I mean, like, what, what, what's to what's do with all this, like, all things work together for good for those who love God? Like, I love God. Like, I'm trying to obey God. I'm trying to do what's Right. And it's just like every time I turn around, every time I try something for the Lord, you know, it blows up in my face. And it was a time of anxiety. And and like I said, even my faith was, it's the weakest my faith's probably ever been. But right around that time, I started meeting with this guy named Peter Doyle. Peter Doyle was a Presbyterian minister on Auburn's campus. And he had retired, and he would just like go to restaurants and coffee shops and meet with college students. And Dr. Doyle, if you've ever, if you know who he is, he he's he's a I call him a low talker. He um, you have to really pay attention when Dr. Doyle talks. You know, he doesn't speak very loud. And and so you it's it's it's, it's awesome to have a conversation with him because you have to kind of lean in and. Beyond being a low talker, his eyes kind of are always watering. So it like, looks like he's crying. He's a low talker. So you're just leaning into everything this guy is saying to you. And I uh, I started sharing some of this with him. And I was like, look, Dr. Doyle, like I'll be honest, like, I'm discouraged. I feel like I've tried all this stuff, I've tried to obey the Lord, and I just I, I'm questioning the goodness of God, I'm questioning all these things. And Dr. Doyle, so wisely and so humbly, I even said to him, Dr. Doyle, maybe I'm asking too much here. Maybe I'm trying too much. And he said, oh, Jason, he says, you know what your problem is? He says, it's not that your dreams are too big. It's that they're too small. It's Your horizons are too short. He said, God is working all things together for your good. He is working all things together for his glory. But he said, Jason, you've got to realize, who are you? What's going to make you important? That you're SGA president? That you're a college football player? Or that you're a child of God? He said, you know, your dreams are so small. They're so dinky. What is being the student body president of a school in comparison with what God is actually doing? Look at what he's actually doing. And as we study the scripture together, I realize, you know, sometimes Christians do achieve great things in life and God answers their prayers and things work out. And sometimes they get dragged outside of a city and stoned to death. But Dr. Doyle helped me realize, you know what? In 10,000 years, I'll know. In 10,000 years, I'll know that all things have worked out for my good and for God's glory. And I'm going to be honest with you. Dr. Doyle changed my life. And it changed the way I thought about things. It changed the way I thought about who I was and what identity and purpose was. It put me on a whole different trajectory. He he said this, think about these things, Jason. Anchor yourself in Jesus. Anchor yourself in his plans. And it's not that I never am afraid. It's not that I'm never, you know, deal with anxiety. I do. I'm just like y'all. I'm a guy. Man, that's what I have to go back to. Think about these things. This, This passage invites us to think about eternal things. And then finally, and I wish I had more time, but finally, it calls us to do things of eternal importance. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. (laughs) Practice these things. Do these things. This whole Pursue Atlanta thing, you know what it really is? Here's what it is. We're just saying, guys, practice these things. Commit to these things. Do these things. Find your identity in Christ. Be a good church member. You know what that means? It means, what do we say? Be in worship. Be with one another. Invest into eternal relationships. Give to eternal causes. Serve eternal souls. Give yourself to the Lord's eternal value system. Pray for one another. Seek the Lord. Pray for the ministries of our church. Seek the Lord in this. Even your investment. Pursue with your finances eternal things. You know, I love the passage, also from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 6. It says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Y'all have heard that passage, right? Right? I always thought that it meant for the longest time in my life I thought that it meant where your heart is your treasure will be. I mean, I read it as it was written but you kind of read it like where your heart is your treasure will be. Like if you really loved Jesus you would invest in him. You would believe in him, right? You kind of read it in more of like a guilt kind of way. Like, hey, is your heart really with the Lord? You should get invested. But really it's actually saying the opposite. It says Get invested so that your heart will be more with the Lord. Where your treasure is, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Wherever you get invested, you guys know this, right? You know, some of you guys have sent a kid to college and you never cared about that college before. You start sending them a check for $20,000 a year, you care about that college, you know? Some of you guys have you know, bought a vacation of somewhere or whatever, you've spent some money or you've invested in a stock, right? That's a good example. You've never cared about this company before. All of a sudden, you read a report about that company doing well, you're like, yeah, where your your treasures, your heart will be. Yeah, it works. That's all, that's all Jesus is saying there. He's saying, look, this is how you work. So you want to have a heart for me? Get invested with me. That's what we're asking. We're asking you to commit to these things. And so here in a few moments, I just want to give you some time to pray about that. I, I know that the Spirit of God's going to lead you. And I'm just asking you as we kind of close down this year and look to a new year to make some new and fresh commitments in your life. Now, here's the good news, though, as we close. You know what the good news is? The gospel says this. Your identity is not in your work. Your identity is not in your relationship. Your identity is not in how much money I have. And here's the good news. I want you to this. Your identity is not even in how good you are at keeping your church commitments. That's not what I'm telling you here. If you hear him telling you, like, okay, I need to check these boxes, and that's what's going to make me right with God. That's not what I'm saying. The beauty of the gospel is we're, we're not invited into God's presence because of our faithfulness to him. We're invited into God's presence because of his faithfulness to us that he's displayed to us in Jesus, his son, who has given everything, who himself became poor so that we might be rich. So this is so free. This is why we don't have to have anxiety. If, you, if you've been focused on your work and now you're going to focus on your church commitments, you'll still be filled with anxiety because what if like you're a bad church member one day? Or what if like you don't fulfill the financial commitment? Or what if you haven't prayed? Here's, here's what this is. You know, I gave you all these little wooden coins a few weeks ago and just asked you all to be praying about this. Here was my, like, wooden coin moment. So a couple of weeks ago, Emriana um, is a third grader, and she's like our, she's our, like, academic. She's our she's our scholar. And I get an email from her teacher that said, imriana hasn't been logging into school, or she's been logging in and then, like, logging off on this, uh, you know, the vir- virtual school. And at first I thought, I'll be honest, I thought, like, this is not true, you know, not Emrianna Dees, you know, <laughs> like, she's the one. Like, you know, if it was one of the boys, okay, I understand, but not Emriana. But it was true. She'd been kind of just, you know, messing around. And so... As her father, when I heard that, my reaction wasn't, I need to go get a new daughter. You know? My reaction wasn't, she's failed me. Now I don't love her. No, my reaction was actually to love her more, to go to her and say, baby, what's going on here? And I went to her room one night, we were talking about it, and she said, look, Dad, it's hard. I don't like it. Please don't make me do it. You know what I said to her? I said, look, him, you gotta trust me. This is good for you. This is good for you, babe. I'm like, you're, you're learning. You're, you, you need these skills that they're trying to teach you. That It's gonna help you. It's gonna help you in the long run. Please trust me. I know you don't like it, but trust me. And she kind of thought about it. She didn't like it. Next morning, she comes down, for breakfast. And before she left, or before, you know, I left to go to work, before she started school, she said, Daddy, I do trust you. And I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to this. Th- this is what I'm asking you. Look, you. You have a God. He doesn't love you because you're so good at your commitments. He loves you because he has invited you into covenant relationship with him by the power of the gospel. And what he's saying to you is, look, trust me, Give yourself to me. This is actually where peace is. This is actually how you overcome anxiety. This is actually how you find joy. Trust me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for how helpful it is, even in confusing times. And I pray, Father, that as we even as we look to you now, that we would be the kind of people that by this truth have a new direction, that we would anchor ourselves in the Lord and nothing less, that we would be people that seek the eternal God in prayer and with thanksgiving. We set our minds on eternal things. We do, that we practice eternal things. Give our lives to this, Lord. And we trust your peace in all these things and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, this time, as as Jordan begins to play, I want to give you just a minute, literally a minute. I know some of you guys have come, but just to spend a little time with that little card. If you're sitting with your spouse or sitting with your friend, it may just be a good thing. You can kind of quietly talk about it. Um, But just take some time to fill that out. Make these commitments. Um, Press into this. And uh, then I'll come back up just after another minute or so as you're you're finishing that and, and give you a few more directions.